What's up, y'all? This is Zach. And look, I'm really excited about this. And I, I want to also shout out the team for being able to do this. You're listening to this because we're doing something called 12 Days of Podcast. So, look, this is content that we want to make sure y'all get before 2020 is over. All right. So we're hitting y'all with some content as we wrap up the year for the next 12 straight days. These are interviews that we had earlier this year, but we couldn't get to releasing them because of coordination and just current events. And we wanted to be a little bit more responsive to all the chaos that was happening around us in real time. So what we're doing is we're dropping this content for y'all now because we don't want y'all to hear it like 20 weeks from now. <laughs> we want y'all to hear it now. So what you're about to hear is a super dope conversation that we have with an incredible guest. But before we get there, we're going to tap in with Tristan. What's going on, y'all? It's Tristan from Layfield Resume Consulting, and I've teamed up with Living Corporate to bring you all a weekly career tip. Today, we're going to discuss how to properly ask questions. Have you ever asked a question and gotten a response that doesn't make sense? The issue may not lie with the other person, but in the way you ask your question. Questions are the cornerstone of communication, and yet many of us don't frame or ask our questions appropriately. Questions allow you to learn, get answers, give answers, mentor people, and ultimately develop a reputation, but that's all only if you utilize them correctly. So here's a few tips on how to ask great questions. Number one, try to stick to one sentence. You may have to get some background, which is okay, but try to limit the actual question to a single sentence. This helps in keeping your questions open-ended. Number two, don't offer answers unless those are truly the only options. In doing so, you limit the other person, which you never want to do because I can guarantee you've only thought about a few of the possible options. Number three, try not to sway the other person. While you may know the answer, your question should be answered neutral, allowing the person to answer them naturally. Number four, keep your talking to a minimum. The entire essence of a great question is to find out what the other person knows. If you ask the question in the right manner, you'll probably learn something. Number five, Rinse and repeat for follow-up questions. Keep them neutral, open-ended, and as brief as possible. Asking better questions almost always results in better outcomes. Incorporate these tips when asking questions and start getting the answers that you're seeking. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Dr. Roberts, how are you doing? I'm doing well today. How are you, Zach? You know, it's like a really loaded question. You know, I asked you all casual, but it's like, it's been a crazy year. You know, I think about... So what, we're recording this uh, after the election results. I have my, my daughter on my lap, so she'll probably be participating as we uh, as we continue forward. <laughs> but it's, it's, been, it's been wild. I'm thankful to be here, though. How's your family doing? Everybody safe? My family is safe. So, yes, when you say, how are you doing? It's always a relative, right? I've got to go through the relative, the relativity. I have to go through the, well, considering the millions and millions of people who are suffering, you know, directly the health costs of COVID right now, I'm well, I'm healthy. My family's healthy. My immediate family's healthy. I'm grateful for that. You know, considering the economic strife facing so many people right now, I have a job that allows me to do the work around which I'm passionate. 
uh, with people who have, who have been supporting and encouraging me in doing this work. Well, so, so I'm grateful for that. And then I think about the recent election results and the hope that we can have for ourselves and for our children and especially for our little girls. <laughs> and my, my daughter was, um, gosh, she was around your daughter's age when um, President Obama won his first election. And I remember what it felt like to be in the sanctuary of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, where I lived previously. And uh, everybody was there. Sharpton was there. You know, CNN was there. As, you know, Raphael Warnock, um, who is now one of the uh, leading contenders in the Georgia runoff for uh, for senator. He's the pastor of that congregation. I was a member of that church at the time. And so I'm, I'm sitting there. We're basically having like a vigil, you know, with all the teens watching the news come in and just holding our breath. And they started calling out the states that had gone blue. And we were in disbelief. Um elated and also in disbelief. And I just remember looking at my daughter at that time, who was about seven months old and feeling like this was going to be a good period in history for her, for us. And so, you know, here we are now eight years later and I have had to explain inexplicable to my children over the past four years, you know, just justifying behaviors that fly in the face of anything that we would teach them morally, you know, through our spiritual conviction, anything that I would teach in a classroom about leadership, about psychology, about wellness and driving and how to treat people, you know, for them to watch this being, you know, magnified and rewarded for years. It's been so hard. So, um, you know, I'm grateful that I can at least say to them that there are statistically more people who see the world and want the same things in the world around true freedom and hope. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that. Right. So, like, you know, to, to that to that end around, like. You know, we're living in this moment as you think about the work that you do. And I've seen you on different panels, right, talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, talking about really like what this work means in this moment. As you look at this next like, you know, six months or so, do you think that the work is going to have going to radically shift? Do you think that there is a a temptation for folks to kind of rest back on the laurels and say, OK, that period is over. We're now back to, quote unquote, normal, like. What do you envision for like the future of diversity, equity, inclusion work to look like, like as an industry and then also like in the corporate space? Well, it's already started to shift um, from where we were in uh, the beginning of June to where we are right now in this space. Um, you've got CEOs and senior executives coming out, making very bold statements proactive statements about 
uh, racial justice and um, Black Lives Matter and uh, wanting to pursue and embody anti-racist practices within their organizations and uh, requiring other, you know, mid-level managers in their organizations to pick up the mantle and carry forth this work. Like, you all need to start talking about race. You need to start developing some plans that, you know, are more equitable and justice. You need to start addressing the unconscious biases that exist within, um, you know, your parts of the company, because we as a company really need to do this work and focus on it. Well, honestly, there were a lot of middle managers who said, I'm not doing that. And so they didn't, right? So the, you already had within the first month um, some fairly staunch resistance against an overt resistance against doing work uh, within the space of racial equity. And that's just part of a long-standing trend in DNI work um, that we have been comfortable in our corporate spaces talking about and working on lots of dimensions of difference um, that feel like they can benefit from and include uh, the dominant group. But around racial justice, uh, we've been largely silent. So it didn't take long for the silence to continue. It's only exacerbated since then. We, you know, companies have started to shift from, oh, we want you to come in and do a program, a anti-racist program, to saying, well, you know, we probably need to make it a little broader because we're getting feedback from our leaders throughout the company that, what about Latinos? What about global? What about, you know, is this just a U.S. thing? Is this just a Black thing? Is, can anybody in our company? So that was already happening. Um, also now uh, hearing in the past couple of weeks, um, people who are just saying, as, as you stated, let's just get back to normal. Can we, whoo, I'm glad that was over. That was a terrible time. He was a really bad, that was really bad. You know, that administration was really bad. That guy was just, you know, on some other stuff. So let's just get, it's, it's great that now we can, we can get back to normal. Let, we've, we've got to focus on healing here. And in some ways that narrative is also subversive to the broader effort because it's allowing for many of the atrocities to go unchecked. Um, you know, and for people to sort of move, move, move forward because back to normal was not normal. <laughs> That's how we got here. Exactly. To your point around like this DNI and you know people kind of changing. I wanted to make it broader. Can we talk a little bit? So I'm gonna shake the table early because you because know, you know you and I talked off mic, and so like I reckon I respect like you know like where you rock from, and I'm gonna try to I'm gonna push you a little bit, and then. We'll see how far you go. And then, you know, I'll back up. I'll, I'll pay attention. I'll follow your lead. But can we talk a little bit about how some of these white chief diversity officers uh, normalize and propagate white supremacy in the corporate context? So white supremacy is, <laughs> let's see, there are a couple of different ways. Where should we start? Where should we start? Okay. So one, I think, you know, true work around inclusion, equity, and justice, it centers the experiences, the voices, and the suffering of the people on the margins. I have seen DNI initiatives co-opted within, in organizations when they center 
the perspectives, opinions, needs, insecurities, fragility, um, awkwardness, um, fears and anxieties about exclusion or disempowerment or disenfranchisement of white men. Right. That so that becomes like the dominant conversation. That becomes the 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 sparkly object, the thing that everybody is super interested and intrigued and you know really wants to focus on and talk about. It's like after the 2016 elections, you know, um instead of saying, gosh, you know, we really have to focus our efforts on making sure that we're doing everything we can to help. Um, people who are targeted by racism and have been, you know, targeted explicitly by racism through rhetoric and action, even during this campaign season, we got to make sure that they feel safe and supported within our organizations. No, that's not where a lot of the diversity energy and initiatives went. It immediately went to the people who are perpetuating the racist behaviors and ideals and saying, we've got to, you know, understand more about the experiences of, um, working class white people who feel that, you know, that they that they've been disenfranchised in some way. And if it becomes an either or, you know, all of a sudden the energy, the enthusiasm, the sparkly objects, the headlines, you know, not to mention the budgets and the resourcing in that direction. So that's that's one. Um, and but and, and I would. You know, keeping keeping people oppressed economically is the manifestation of white supremacy. It's a a way that you keep not just white people, any white people in power, but you're keeping the wealthiest white people in power. So we should pay attention to the concerns of people of all backgrounds who are disenfranchised and who lack the quality um, resources and infrastructure within their communities that are needed, you know, for them to be able to grow and thrive and flourish. I'm not dismissing that or discounting that. I'm just saying there's some shape-shifting involved when the spotlight continues to drift away or sometimes in a very harsh breakaway from the pain, the suffering, the injustice, the oppression of Black people toward the pain, suffering, injustice, and oppression of other people. It's very hard for the system to hold its gaze and its concern on the experiences and the needs of Black people and be responsive in meeting those. So a lot of DNI officers of um, of all backgrounds uh, struggle to find the courage or to have the depth of understanding about why we should continue to invest in initiatives that uh, focus on and address the unique experiences that people have in organizations because of anti-Blackness. And you know what? Because see, so I've been waiting to like get you on the show, right? Because <laughs> I got some, I got some tea for you. So you know, yeah. I saw you've been, you've been on some panels, yeah. right? So I'm not gonna say yeah. who, I'm not gonna say who yet, because I'm my messy boots aren't that messy yet. Uh, but one of the people that you've been on a panel with, we had a conversation and they were hitting me up, asking me for advice. Yeah. Right. So they yeah. were like, well, how do we, how do we do this whole, you know, that DNI thing, but, but not, not make yeah. white people yeah. too uncomfortable. Right. Right. And I told them, 
I say, look, the reality is we're not going to make progress in this space without making those in the majority uncomfortable. I would even argue that if the people are comfortable, you probably aren't making any real progress. They didn't like that feedback mm. that much. But it was the truth, though. It's like, like, look, like, why this, this, this constant demand to center. Right. And I, I guess my, I guess the other thing is like, just intellectually, it's like, have we not been doing that for the past 400 plus right. years? We, we've been, yeah. so you're, you're, look, you're looking at quote unquote strategic ways to do what we've been doing. Right. Like, that's right. not actually innovation. You're trying to put a new hat on the same suit, but it's like, it's the same that's thing. That's right. It's like, it's like a Scooby-Doo episode. You know, you're, you're, you're chasing a false ghost. I mean, it's not, there's no boogeyman. This is the exact right. same thing, but there's like this fear of the metaphorical boogeyman that's going to jump right. out if we, you know, pursue this sponsorship program or this leadership development program um, or this hiring HBCU hiring initiative that's actually going to result in empower the greater empowerment and advancement of black people within this organization. They're like, Oh, some people are not going to like that. I said, of course, they're not going to like it. That's why we're doing this work. That's the point. That's not the (laughs) the ending point. That's the starting point. If they liked it, we wouldn't have to do a focused initiative in this, in this domain. So let's stop talking about that kind of resistance as a surprise. You know, right. as like the gotcha in a cheesy right. Scooby-Doo episode. It, it is, <laughs> it's not, you know, the, that's what has frustrated me over the summer as well. And then as we got to the fall, yeah, honestly, you know, full candor here. Once that executive order came out, I mean, and you can see that I, I, I tweeted about it one day. When, he, when that administration put the executive order out, that said you're not allowed to say thus and so in any trainings because, in essence, we don't like the story that that tells about America, A, and B, it makes us feel bad about ourselves. So we don't want you to come in and say or do anything that's going to make us feel badly about ourselves. I said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for finally putting it on paper. Yeah, federalizing to explain this dynamic in intellectual terms and hypothetical terms and metaphorical terms. I mean, you know, I write poetry about this stuff, trying to get people to give different ways of people to wrap their minds around some of this when the data is not palatable to them. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I'm I'm trying to find any any way to, like, get the message across there. There's some resistances. Here's here's why, you know, when you've got. Folks who are saying, oh, no, no, that's not the case. We just want to make sure we're being inclusive, right? Because that's our goal, isn't it? To be inclusive. You know, so you co-opt the very nature of inclusion by, you know, disregarding anti-Blackness and the inequities and injustices that come along with it. That executive order um, just laid it out there, plain and simple. When I said, okay, from henceforth, now all I will have to do is cite as indicated in the executive order. This is the mentality about this work. So how do you want to go forward from there? Well, it's it's something to be said about just how insidious. I mean, I think the other point is that, you know, there is a push to get back to the the time 
when anti-blackness and oppression was not only socially acceptable and something that you one would aspire to maintain, but was also federally legislated. Right. And so like this idea. Well, of, yeah, we're going to we're going to pack the courts to make right. sure that we can, you know, return to the time when this these forms of apartheid, anti-black apartheid in the United States are federally um, legislated through the judicial, you know, and enforced through the judicial branch. You know, I, I was on a panel um, some months ago and we were talking about like this idea like we were talking about, you know, this was while the executive order was in, in, in place. And so, you know, there was quite like, you know, we're not going to even allow certain people to ask certain questions. You know, there's certain things we won't even, won't even raise. And it's scary. Yeah. It's scary. It's scary when you think about like, wow, like that's all it and really four takes. Four weeks, they had pulled back the learning pathways yeah. and curriculum. <laughs> where Everything. Have been put on hold. There were sidebars and comment things in the comment column. All of a sudden, can we say this? Do we need to include this in the session? Can we get this point across without using this phrase? It didn't take four weeks. That full blown. They're still tiptoeing. They are. Oh, no, they're still tiptoeing. But I'm, shout out to the people who are like, no, like, I'm not going to do that. Right. right? Like, like, I think about Michelle, Michelle J. Karam. Yeah. I was yes. awakened. Yes, I think I think about Brittany J. Yes. Harris and of course Mary Frances Winners, the Winners yes. Group. I think about uh, Lily know, Zhang. Lily yes. Zhang, shout out to Lily Zhang. I think there are folks out there who are like no, like because here's the thing, like there's something about, and so this is where I would like for us to have a part two, and maybe even do a panel on like the psychology of hierarchy and like how we we do seem to kind of like just bend the knee to who whoever has the power irrespective of like the character of those people who wield that power because it's like it's like why and i was talking to my office like all we have to do is just not obey we don't have to obey this why is it that we're all like no we have to do this like what is gonna if if enough of us say no we're not going to do x then x won't happen but i'm curious about that like i'm curious about like what will it take for folks to just not go with the flow on any damn thing because like that executive order was wild to me like even when you you know i i hope i hope that we don't forget it i hope we don't act like that was just like a crazy thing i will be talking about that from henceforth yeah i mean the assumptions that were behind it were flawed just the 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 lack of understanding the uh the absurdity of including critical race theory and unconscious bias training in the same category <laughs> where you know from being in yo that was great <laughs> yes you are talking about two entirely different different concepts and different concepts like and you know often um often the twain don't meet i won't say never the twain shall meet but often yeah, but they don't no. meet though. So just to bucket it all together and say all you folks who are doing this stuff and you know not try to have any kind of intellectual sophistication about it was offensive to me as someone who does that work. Not not to mention you know just the human rights violations that come along with censorship. Um, so you know the the point is is one. Well, let me say one of the things I did during that time was um, to just flood my LinkedIn 
with 21 days of free DEI. I saw that. I'm like, okay, you all don't want to pay for it now. Guess what? There are so many of us who have been working our hearts off, working our behinds off for years and years, not just in 2020, but there's so much information that's really available. There is no excuse for ignorance. So that's my first comment on this is, you know, how do we say, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not colluding with this. You don't have to wait for somebody, some government agency to pay for your training, you know, for you to be conscious of these kinds of issues and the role that race and other dimensions of difference play in our society. Educate yourself. There's so much out there that is freely available that no one should ever be able to censor your awareness and your conviction about, you know, what's truth. Um, We've got to fight the propaganda. It is so intense right now. Um, I'm fortunate in the sense that when I have my family Zoom meeting on Thanksgiving, because we will be meeting by Zoom, um, and you're not meeting with your family by Zoom, I please don't post pictures on Facebook because I just, I simply cannot take it. I can't, I can't, I can't. The stakes are too high. We got to chill. We got to, we got to stay The stakes are too high. I mean, I've, I've, I've watched you all at your birthday parties, your baby showers, your weddings, your, you know, all of these things. Like, um, just please. It's, it's, it's enough. So when I am having my Thanksgiving Zoom, I'm having it with members of my family who are values aligned, okay? That is not the case for many other families in our country right now. They're going to sit down, hopefully at their family Zoom, and have some difficult conversations or avoid having some difficult conversations because they are on such different pages about what our country should be. Um, about what inclusion really looks like, about what leadership really is. And they bought into a lot of the propaganda that that they've been presented with in a very calculated and explicit way. This is not a new tactic. You know, trying to keep people ignorant is not a new tactic. Um, This is what they did to our people when we were enslaved. This is what they did to the indigenous people. Um, as, as their lands were being stolen, they were also being sent away to these quote unquote schools that stripped them of their identities and of their cultures, um, and the important relationships they had with family and community. We were not allowed to read. So ignorance is always a weapon. Um, but knowledge is, is what we can do to, to, to combat the ignorance. and. You can't collude with ignorance. You just can't. That's what we were being asked to do, is to collude with ignorance. And you you can't do that. And we can't go back to that place because we think that it's more peaceful and it's more calm and it's better if we just don't talk about these things at all. That's not the path forward for us. You know, I think to that end, right, like, and, I, and I've, I've shared this before on Living Corporate, like, as a platform, like, we have folks who listen in who are really trying to understand 
you know, how to lead better, what they should be thinking. These are, you know, talking about like folks, mostly white folks, right? Trying to figure out how to show up better, how to lead better. I think like in this era, as we get out of the Trump presidency and into a Biden Harris presidency, you know, and we and we we get into 2021 and beyond, like let's let's talk about the next, let's just say, year. What are things that leaders can be doing to continue to show up better in light of all the things that we've learned and are learning about ourselves. And I say us, I'm really kind of talking about white majority, not really black folks, black folks been knowing a lot of the things that folks are just kind of coming into understanding of what are some things that you believe that leaders can continue to practice and focus on? So um, one thing that leaders can practice and focus on is, um, you know, is, Avoiding false equivalencies, okay? Really respecting the differences in our differences. So you can't just jump from one program or set of initiatives or conversations or a moment of awakening around um, the Black experience you know, right over to LGBTQ because there are some things that are similar about the nature of stigmatization, bias, um, oppression, and the harm that it does, but there are also some some particularities. Um, so leaders really need to start to examine the context, the historical context, the intersections of different identities and the power dynamics within their own organizations rather than embracing one size fits all let's welcome everybody to the table sort of inclusion um, initiatives Uh, so so that's one thing Um, another is to uh, you know people want to say forgive and forget i think we should be cognizant of our history and the spirit of Sankofa. You know, you move forward by looking behind, by learning from the past, by acknowledging and respecting what has happened and not finding ways to dismiss it because it reveals some uncomfortable truths about you, about your family, your community, um, you know, your neighbors, you got to hold all of that. You got to look at the fact that 73 million people recorded votes for, you know, four more years of the same or even more intense um, suppression and human rights violations and abuses. In the name of what? You know, in the truly in the name of white supremacy, there's there's very little that can explain why millions and millions of people would willingly submit themselves over to an authoritarian system in the midst of a global pandemic that is, you know, minimizing the loss of American life on on a daily basis. There's no other way to explain that without calling out and acknowledging the white supremacy that was baked into the rhetoric and the support for the current administration, the outgoing administration. Um, So we need to act with an 
recognition that if let's say 50% of the voting pot of the population voted, because we know hundred percent didn't vote, not even that, even if 50% voted, then that would be a good 25%, one out of four people who were willingly signing up for more of that. So if you're a leader and that is not your version of leadership, you're going to have to be extremely you know, explicit and vigilant about what you do value and what you are hoping to promote. Um, and I think we also see here, as we saw in 2016, uh, and this is in the spirit of living corporate, Black women are going to do the work. Black women have been doing the work to salvage democracy, to build character, to try to find ways, even under the most horrific of circumstances, to push their fellow brothers and sisters along the path of doing the right thing that truly allows us to live free and to be free. Um, in Michelle Obama's terms, you know, not in certain moments to not go there, right? To they go low, we go high. Yep. You've had a lot of examples of that from Black women in positions of leadership constantly, um, you know, going high when other people are going low. Um, but not hiding out, being very smart and calculating and strategic about how to mobilize power and resources for the common good. So you can't talk about this election, even if you're thrilled about it and you feel that you're on the side of the seven, nearly 78 million who supported Biden-Harris at the top of the ticket. You can't celebrate any of that without celebrating Kamala Harris, first of all, obviously on the ticket of woman of color. We also have to talk about Stacey Abrams. Absolutely. And her leadership. We Absolutely. have to talk well, about Keisha Lance Bottoms. We have to talk yep. about Lori Lightfoot mm. in the city of Chicago in this pandemic. We have to talk about Muriel Bowser repainting Pennsylvania Avenue as Black Lives Matter Plaza. Like we have to talk about all of the ways that Black women have been leading in these critical moments when our very democracy is at stake. Corporate leaders need to know that. And in this next season going forward in a Biden-Harris presidency, it's time that we drop the tired mantra that we can't find any. Well, how do we know they can handle the job? Are they qualified enough? You know, one thing that should not be questioned at this point is whether or not black women can lead. These are facts. No, I mean, <laughs> I'm just I'm trying I'm just trying to give you space to rock. But no, you're, it's you're absolutely preposterous. Right. It's absolutely preposterous that one would have to continue to argue for that. You know, when you just see the the level of of, of confidence and capability, I mean, I'm clearly a Barack Obama um, supporter and a, a voter and advocate, but the brilliance of Michelle Obama was never lost on me. That from day one, I looked at Barack Obama and then I said, okay, but yeah, but let me see his partner because that's going to tell me the difference between Barack Obama and Clarence Thomas. Listen, let's talk about the partner. 
No, you're you're one you're one hundred percent right. I think the other thing is is that what you're speaking to about like we can't find them or we don't know if they handle the job. A lot, a lot of that just goes back to the reality of racial gaslighting. Yeah. Right. It's like like we can look at the meta narrative of black performance in this nation and we can say that black people are actually overperformers. Oh my gosh. We overperform. We we've historically overperformed. Yeah. While being criminally, literally criminally under-resourced and abused. That's right. Right. That's right. No food, no sleep, no food, and picking bales of cotton and building monuments and railroad tracks to and clearing out forests. For whom? I mean, this is not just like let's go to Williamsburg and have a little tea on the back porch kind of situation. <laughs> this is I say, I mean, engineering. Um of agri- agriculture, you know, crop rotation and so forth, you're overperforming, not just in the in the physical aspects, but in the in the ingenuity that was required to be able to build the infrastructure of this nation. One hundred percent. And I think, you know, so to your point around like acknowledging that and being explicit by le- like leaders acknowledging that mm-hmm. and being explicit. Is 100% right. But that takes a certain level of emotional and intellectual honesty that, frankly, I don't know if a lot of leaders have still in this era. Um, but I asked you the question and I appreciate it. And you're right. Um, you know, as you think now, about. You didn't ask me what was likely to happen. You asked me what should happen. <laughs> what and should happen? I did. In all fairness, <laughs> if you want to walk around with your chest out, because whoo, we did it. We did it. If you want to go out with your girlfriends and do the happy dance, or you know, you want to write your supportive letter from the CEO that shows you in, you know, in in a in a light that says, "Hey, I was on the right side of history." While you do all of those things, which I encourage everybody to do, because um, this was this was a battle. It was a battle for freedom. It was a battle for democracy for everybody, not just for black people, but for everybody. So yeah, go out and 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 acknowledge what happened because it was a hard fought battle. But when you do it, make sure that you give the war heroes their credit instead of treating them like they are the criminals. That's the irony of it. Breonna Taylor's in the same week that all of this is happening, the police officer who was responsible for shooting sued Breonna Taylor's significant other. <laughs> you you cannot you cannot be the victim here. You you're not you're not at at all. No, I think. I, I think to your point is like what I'm hoping is, and I recognize that this is this is an intellectual exercise for some, for many, right? This is not going to be automatic, but I, I'm hoping that folks will realize, like, look, at each of your organizations, there is a Stacey yeah. Abrams, there are women out there who are carrying the majority of the labor, not just for their own personal benefit, but for the benefit of your entire organization. Similar to how Stacey Abrams, she carried all this for the benefit of the entire nation. But I get that that type of that that type of, you know, connecting the dots may take some support. But my hope is, is that my hope is that white folks just listen to us. You know what I mean? Like long story like long is like, just listen to us. Like we've been telling y'all, we've been telling y'all this from the jump. It's like, just listen to us. And so I know I asked you a question. Now it's turning into a rant on the back end. But 
it's it's the truth. Now, um, there's a lot of brilliance that is unrecognized, untapped, unutilized. Um, you know, some of the criticisms that people made about Stacey Abrams had nothing to do with her political savvy, but about um, Eurocentric standards of beauty, which is also nonsense. Absolutely. And so when we talk about all these dimensions of anti-Blackness, we're talking about colorism. We're talking about body type. We're talking about how people, um, you know, different images of white female beauty, hair. So I love that we're talking about Stacey Abrams and Kamala Harris. If you follow me on that. I do follow you on that because now there's something to be said about that, about like the reality is that we still, we've always historically, we've shamed black women for their Mm -hmm. bodies and yet sought to actually colonize them at the same time and you know lift the very things that we shame black female bodies for we then praise white women for having those body types that they go and like oftentimes we'll go to the doctor to modify and manufacture those those aesthetics so exactly so you know let's let's celebrate we can celebrate beyonce we can celebrate kamala harris we can celebrate serena williams we can celebrate stacey abrams they are all brilliant leaders all in their own right and all identify as black women and we're blessed for it. This has been a dope conversation. Dr. Roberts, first of all, I feel like we got to have you back for another conversation. <laughs> so much, just so much for us to break down, huh? There's a lot for us to break down. And like, I really want to, I really want to make sure that people know where to find you. Um, you know, if there's anything that you're working on, but like, I'm going to give you space to like plug whatever you got going. Let's see. <laughs> So I'm a mile a minute these days, Zach. There's so much. So probably the best way to keep up with me and what I'm doing. um, LinkedIn is a very active community for me. Uh, So you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, Also have a website. Go to lauramorganroberts.com and find uh, my contact information and reach out from there. And then I have a, a book, the Alignment Quest Toolkit, that I self-published, so that's available on Amazon. I have a book, Race, Work, and Leadership, published by Harvard Business Review Press, uh, quite relevant to the conversations we've been having today, uh, learning about and from the Black experience. This has been dope. Dr. Roberts, we're going to have to have you back. We'll talk to you soon, okay? to. All right, thanks. Peace. All right. Listen, really appreciate y'all being here. Make sure y'all check out the notes in the show notes. Make sure if you uh, have a question that you want to send to us, you have a listener letter, anything like that. Just email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, this has been Zach. Oh, yeah. Make sure you give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. All right. Catch y'all soon. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? 
Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.